You are now listening to The Shyest Podcast, when millions of opinions just aren't enough. Hello again, and thank you for tuning in to the Scheist Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Scheist, and in this episode, I talk to a longtime friend who's been working in the television and movie industry for nearly two decades, the faux fox super himself, Robert Forrest. All right, buddy. Well, welcome to the show. Thanks for stopping by. Thanks for having me. Uh, you said you were getting ready to start work on a new project, so what are you getting into right now? Um, what I know about it is... We're signed on for two weeks to work on this movie. Um, I'm going to be in Lancaster next week in the desert. It's going to be hot. But uh, I finish up prepping on Monday, and then uh, we drive out there and start shooting. You shoot for two weeks? Uh, yeah. The first week's out there. I don't know where we are the second week yet. So, Can you disclose the name of the project or no? Um. You're assuming I remember what it's called already. Uh, it's, called, it's called Blue Something. I don't remember what it's called. Blue, Blue Something. I don't remember. All right. And so for the people that are listening to this show, you have worked in the TV and film industry for quite some time now. And yeah. you spent a long time on Criminal Minds. And when did you stop working on Criminal Minds? Um, I, I worked on the first seven seasons the first <clears throat> first four seasons i was there full-time uh seasons five six and seven i believe as their part-time and then i was gone for a while and i came back i think it was season 11 maybe season 12 and finished yeah. out the last few seasons and what year was that uh geez uh, that is when it, the show first started no when when did the show end um, 2017, 18, like, I guess now I don't even, 2019, I think. Okay, so. as, far, as far as, like, when it finished airing, we actually, I think, finished shooting it, though, in 2018. Gotcha. Um, and TV productions and movies and stuff were some of the stuff that was uh, most directly impacted by COVID. Uh, so were you working on a project when all of the kind of lockdown measures went into place? I was actually, I was, I was day playing, which is like working part-time uh, on the show SWAT. And they, they had another episode left to do on the season, but their season got cut short and they ended up, it was like, we have, basically two days to finish this episode and then we're calling it a season. Uh, so they had to, you know, end the season a whole episode early on. A lot of shows had to do that, but they, they had a, a lot of the shows had a chance to at least try to come to a closing to a certain degree, but a lot of shows had to cut off, you know, their last one or two episodes, some, some even more. And so, when was the first time you were able to work again after the initial shutdown? 
Um, that's a good question. Surprisingly quickly, they were allowing filming to progress again, um, but they had a lot of safety measures in place with uh, COVID testing and things like that. You had to get tested, um, you know, COVID tested and make sure you weren't positive and then you can arrive on set the next day. And uh, depending on the show, some shows will test you three days a week, other shows uh, less than that, some more. It just depends. Uh, do you know if there was uh, like state or city, I guess, rules put in place or was it left up to the individual productions to just be as safe as they felt they needed to be? I know, like, I think all the studios kind of got together and, you know, with some of the, with our union and everything like that to come up with rules and guidelines that, you know, all union shows would have to follow to a certain degree and everything like that um, with, you know, sanitizing things and uh, making sure everybody wears masks and face shields on set and only allowing certain people near the actors, for example, as well. Did your production have a safety office? Uh, yeah, I believe every show is, every union show at least is required to have that. And I think even a lot of non-union shows are trying to do that as well. Um, have at least someone that's in charge of making sure everybody's, you know, being safe and wearing their face masks and social distance, social distancing as best as they can um, as you're, you know, trying to make a production. And so with the project that you have, coming up uh that you're going to start working on has any of that stuff been disclosed to you at this point um well i i actually did a COVID test for it earlier today um i got an email from them today about hey you have to go go to this site you know go take a COVID test uh so i went and did that I'd, i'll get my results i think in a day or two so um hopefully i'll be positively testing naked negatively <laughs> however, however people say stay stay healthy and positive but test negative i don't know hopefully it comes back negative is what you want yeah, yeah. or else uh, i won't be working next week and then do they do rapid testing for you when you're actually on set or is it this uh the pcr which is like one to two days um at least with the union jobs it is the the, the rapid one once you're on set it's like you'll um, I worked on, doesn't matter what show it was, uh, it was 911 Lone Star. Um, and so they, you know, I'd go take a test the day I got there. And then later in the day, I'd get a email or text that, you know, hey, you tested negative. Keep on working, you know. Oh, so similar to how they were doing it with baseball, where they would test everybody before the game. And then you kind of saw it happened in the World Series where Justin Turner had tested positive and then played. And was pulled from the game and then right, went and broke protocol yeah. and joined the celebration after the fact. But yeah, exactly. So it's kind of crazy. But yeah, it's like you find out, it's like, well, we've already been working for six hours and we're finding this out now. Um, but actually, um, somebody on Lindsay, whatever show Lindsay was working on yesterday, uh, somebody in it and tested positive apparently. So, but uh, she was not in contact with that person as far as we know. So. Oh, that's good. And do, do they increase testing uh, when they have a positive case? Like, does it affect Lindsay at all, even if she wasn't a uh, close contact? Um, well, they've, they designate these people, uh, these people, they designate everybody into groups, group A, B, and C. Um, she was a group A person. So it's 
basically you're, you're not supposed to go around other people and other groups kind of just to help minimize the spread. Uh, and the person who tested positive was group B. So they're fairly certain that, you know, she wasn't even anywhere near that person. But uh, I mean, who knows for sure? I feel like you never know. Yeah. And, you know, I am not behind the scenes, but has it slowed down production schedules to kind of group everybody into their respective herds? I mean, it definitely slows things down a little bit and it makes it obviously less social as well. Um, so it does slow things down a little bit, but in some ways it can make things maybe a little bit more functional too, because then people who don't have to be there are sent away. So the people who actually have to get the work done can get it done. So it's kind of like a catch 22 almost a little bit of both. Sometimes it can be more efficient, but other times it can slow it down. I mean, have you found yourself working longer days in those situations or with Lindsay? Um, I mean, it seems still pretty standard practice. It's like roughly a 12 hour day is pretty standard um, in a single cam show. So, which is uh, any show that's not a, like a sitcom is considered a multi-cam show. Um, so yeah, on a 12 day shooting shooting day schedule is 12 hours, sorry, 12 hours during a shooting day is pretty standard. Well, before we were doing this interview, I got to watch a little preseason football and it was NFL Network has been playing the Bills game. So all three of the Bills <laughs> preseason games have been on NFL Network because they're finally. And I'm good. sure anybody who knows uh, Nick here knows he's a diehard Bills fan. Yeah, That's I talked to Little Buffalo Bills glad. yesterday on the show. Yeah, it's been, you know, more than 20 years at this point. Uh, and there's people that are Bills fans that are much older than me that I've connected to through, like, Twitter and stuff like that. Um, but they look good. Like, the Packers didn't look great, but they weren't playing anybody. Um, but Allen looked good. And uh, I'm excited for the regular season to start. You know, yeah. they, they they shortened the preseason down to three weeks and they extended the regular season by a week. So we're going to have an 18 week season. That's pretty cool to be the first time ever for that. 18, yeah. you know, that'd be pretty cool. Yeah. So it'll be 17 games. And I, our fantasy league, I adjusted it so that our playoffs will still fall in the same weeks they did last year. So it'll be 15, 16 and 17. And then if there's any of those kind of meaningless games that fall into week 18, it's not going to affect anybody's roster too badly. I hope. I have not done my homework at all for fantasy yet. Yeah, yeah. me either. I'm still waiting. <laughs> I'm still waiting on this one person who is supposed to join the league who has not yet joined. So we have 11 right now, but I would have never expanded the league to 12 if it wasn't for this one person who wanted to join. <laughs> so now we're stuck with me potentially having to find a 12th person at the last minute. So I'm trying to get some answers on that. Cause that would address on a week from today. Is, is it not? Uh, no, next Sunday, a week from a week from tomorrow, tomorrow, yeah. but basically a week. I've done no research either. Yeah, I know I, nothing. Yeah, I've watched a little bit of preseason here and there, but so many of the starters are not playing right now. I think because of the the shortened timetable, like Aaron Rodgers didn't play, Devontae Adams didn't play today. Uh, I can't think of 
their running back's name right Aaron Jones uh he didn't play today so they're just sitting it out because it's like they're a veteran team they know that once the season starts they'll eventually hit their stride and you know they're one of the better teams in the NFC regardless of whether or not those guys play some meaningless snaps now yeah what wasn't Aaron Rodgers having some sort of issues with the Packers too he was having a lot of issues yeah he wanted to get out of there but uh they eventually ended up renegotiating his contract so i guess he's going to get paid a little bit better and he's got more control on the back end of whether or not he wants to stay because he wanted out but trying to trade for him last minute like if you're getting aaron Rodgers, it's going to require giving up a lot and the only teams that would really want to get aaron Rodgers are teams that are call them like probably bubble teams because it's like you know, a team like the Jets, right? They would want Aaron Rodgers, but at 37 years old, he's not going to take them from being a terrible Jets team to a Super Bowl contender Jets team before his career is over, most likely. So the only teams that he's going to end up on are probably some of the mid-tier teams that are looking to make a significant jump. Like, he was rumored to uh, heavily to be going to the uh, 49ers, but they couldn't quite swing that because what green bay is going to want out of that is you know a lot of draft capital and probably garoppolo in that equation and maybe even another starter so it just never happened and he's still in green bay he's not happy but you know he'll play well because he's good and yeah he's still a competitor right so he's not going to just not try hard i feel like yeah, he was threatening to retire, and I think you saw him host um, Jeopardy. So it's like he was trying his options and like, what if I can like move into TV? Because realistically, as soon as he retires, like he'll be in the booth somewhere. Of like, course. If he wants it, he'll have that job, no problem. He'll be an analyst at a desk somewhere. Like the day he retires, he'll have a nice, fat, multi-million dollar deal waiting for him with some <laughs> broadcaster. So it was just whether or not he believes that they can still contend for a Super Bowl. And I don't know, contention's a tough word because Tom Brady and that whole Buccaneers team is still there and still intact. And they kicked Green Bay's ass both times they played them. So I don't I didn't, so I didn't see the Packers make any significant improvements to deal with what they're gonna have to deal with in Tampa. So Tampa's still probably the number one seed coming out of the NFC. I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, Tom Brady's just a, a special guy. Still doing it. He's like 43 years old. He's going to play until he's physically incapable of doing so. It's it's insane what he's done in his career. I think as, you know, he's got to be the greatest quarterback of all time, I think. I don't think there's any question about that at this point. Yeah, a lot of people will try and find a way to, like, argue him out of that position because he maybe isn't like first in yardage or first in touchdowns or anything like that. But he might be by the time he's done because of the longevity. But if you like, if you look at his average season, he's probably not in the same like categories as Aaron Rodgers in terms of like yardage and touchdowns per season, or maybe even Drew Brees. But at the same time, like those guys have two Super Bowl appearances and wins combined brady's got what seven super bowl wins so the thing that a lot of people they look at brady seven out of ten for brady so that's pretty impressive yeah i mean and he played on the patriots for so long that like i have no love loss for tom brady (laughs) um 
Yeah, I don't, I I don't like to see I him that. win. I don't cheer for him, but at the end of the day, like I respect what he's done, and I wish that for the longest time that the Bills just like you play the Patriots twice a year, you see this happen to you every time you play them. Like just learn from what they're doing and like just try to mimic it. So the argument for me with Tom isn't that like he's necessarily got the best arm. He's got a good arm, maybe not the best. Uh, he's not like the fastest. He's not the best at like throwing on the run. He's not the best at any of really the mechanical operations of the quarterback other than like his pocket presence is excellent. Uh, he knows like when the play is busted, when it's not, he knows how to dip that shoulder and like step up in the pocket and make that throw. And it's just his leadership and his decision-making like a game that didn't look like he played well against um, I want to say it was the saints in the second round of the playoffs last year. They had already lost to the saints twice during the season. The second time they played the saints, like beat the brakes off of them. It was not a competitive. It was like 48 to three or something like that. And in the playoff game, Brady ended up throwing, I think like two or three interceptions and I don't know, maybe a couple hundred yards. So it looked like a game where he really like didn't play that well, but all of the interceptions he threw came with Tampa Bay up by a touchdown. So he was looking to go for the throat. He was like, if we get this game to two touchdowns, it's over. So he took some risks when he had the opportunity to take risks, but when the game is close, he's not taking those risks. So it's like, yeah, he threw some bad picks, but it's like, these are bad picks that are not situationally bad. Like the decision to try this throw downfield, it doesn't hurt them that it's an interception. It essentially just works like a punt and they go back out there and play defense. So a lot of people look at a game like that and they're like, Oh, Brady didn't play well. And it's like, no, he played well. He played really well when they needed him to early in the game and he got them the lead. And then when they had the lead, he just took some chances that, he didn't necessarily have to take, but he was looking to put the game away. So, uh, yeah, and, and like you said, I I have to agree with you. He's not the best physically quarterback at all when it comes to you know distance he can throw, speed, any of that stuff. But I think it yeah more so comes down to his mind. He's his mindset is so good, and he's been in the league now for so long. I feel like he's seen everything. It's like you can't you can't really surprise him that much anymore. Um, and to you know his first year on a new team and then to win the Super Bowl just seems so crazy to me. I think that was just like he also want he, he I think he had a chip on his shoulder also and wanting to do that as well. Oh, for sure. He wanted to get out from under Belichick and prove that he could lead a team on his own and that it wasn't Belichick that made him. And I actually I looked at it and I was like, look, Tampa was good. They weren't bad before he got there. And I was like, I think they're going to go 11 and five, which they did. But I was like, I just think a Super Bowl is a little too much to ask in the first season. And, you know, we have a friend who is a huge Tom Brady fan (laughs) and who was telling me the whole time, like, they're going to win the Super Bowl. They're going to win the Super Bowl. And then when they got hot at the end of the season and they came in as a wild card, I was like, they're dangerous because they finally started to play their best football the last like five games of the season. So once they hit the playoffs, it was like they had already beaten Green Bay. They had already... uh, lost to the saints twice so it's like beating a team a third time is difficult to do and the team that gave them really the hardest game was washington 
because Washington's defense was so young and kind of you didn't really know like what Washington was going to bring to the table. I think they were playing like a backup quarterback who threw for 300 yards on them. So it just kind of caught them off guard. But then after that, it was like they knew how to beat Green Bay. They knew how to beat New Orleans. And once the Chiefs entered the Super Bowl with all those linemen missing, like that defensive line for Tampa Bay just ran them over basically the whole game. Yeah, they had a strong. They have a great defensive line. They do. Uh, and while we're on the topic of sports, did you watch uh, any of the fights from last night, or not last night? Sorry, last weekend. I actually did not watch any of those fights last weekend. I know. Um, I mean, I, I saw some of the results, but I didn't. I didn't watch it at all. Um, speaking of which, though, did I know Clay Guida lost? But did he perform well at all? Did you watch that fight? I don't know if what kind he of did fight lose. that was. I mean, you know Guida, like he fights the same way all the time. <laughs> I know, he's got to be getting so old. But I was like, oh man, I, I like that guy. Yeah, a lot of people thought that he won the fight. I don't think so. I thought he okay. pretty clearly lost the first round. I think he pretty clearly won the second round. And then the third round, like he just wasn't able to establish himself as the guy winning the round. So maybe it was like a little close in the third Um but Madsen just did enough, was the bigger, stronger guy, just kind of landed the better quality shots. So even though Guida was like moving and was never necessarily really in trouble and was fighting back the whole time, I think it was the right decision. Right on. And then in the main event, uh, Calvin Gastelum fought Jared Cannonier. And, you know, a lot of people thought Gastelum won that fight. And I don't really? know. Really? Okay. What, yeah, I don't know what fight they were watching. I mean... <laughs> There was some rounds where he outlanded him in total strikes. Like the first round, I think he outlanded him by two total strikes, but Cannoneer landed the better strikes. So it's like, you know, quality over quantity in round one. In -hmm. round two, Kelvin got dropped and hurt, and then he got back up and he fought well the rest of the round, but, you know, it's not enough to erase the fact that you got dropped. So he's probably down two rounds to nothing right there. Even though he came back and he fought his way back into that round, he didn't really do enough. And then I think he probably won round three. And then Cannoneer adjusted a little bit back, took round four back. And then Gaslam came out and won round five. So I could have seen it either 49-46 Cannoneer or 48-47. And the judges ended up having it 48-47, I think, across the board. Um, so I guess closer than I thought it was, but I didn't see any outcome with Kelvin winning that fight. Uh, yeah, it's. I think it's also hard to come back to win a round if you've been dropped in a round as well. So uh, based on what you're telling me there, it sounds like he definitely lost a close one. Especially, I mean, I can see how you said maybe with that first round, people can put it his way because he technically landed more strikes, but... You know, like you said, qualities, quality over quantity. Yeah, like you would have to come back and either hurt Cannoneer or drop him in the second round to at least bring the round back to even, which he wasn't able to do. So it's like it's not like he didn't land his shots. It's not like he didn't fight well. It's just that I think he was like 0 of 7 or 0 of 8 on his takedown attempt. So when you look at like who's trying to fight their fight or who's able to fight their fight, like Cannoneer was able to fight his fight. Gastelum tried to force the fight his direction a couple times and it was rejected every single time. So the fight always ends up back in the 
the I guess the area where Cannoneer is fighting his fight. So it's like, you know, I don't see any way that Gastelum could think he won the decision there. But, you know, he fought well. He'll be back. He just happens to fight basically all of, like, the top three guys in the division <laughs> all the time. So, you know, no shame in that, but maybe a change of scenery. He just needs to adjust his game plan a little bit. Like, his takedowns didn't work at all. His hands were still pretty good, but he was losing at the very outside of striking range. So he just was stuck there a little bit too often. And then when he got inside, he made some punches count, but every time he went for a takedown, it got turned away. So, you know, for me watching the fight, it's like this guy's trying to force the fight to the ground or into the clinch or just to, to win the grappling exchanges, and he's really not. And then on the outside of striking range, he's losing. So to me, that guy lost the fight. Yeah. I mean, especially if every takedown you go for, you lost as well. Not, I think, not I think he ended up... Yeah, I think he ended up getting one, but Cannoneer popped right back up, and they still just called it, uh, unofficially called it zero of seven or something like that. But yeah, regardless, when, they, when someone gets like right back up like that, I don't really count it as a take. Even if you got him on their butt, if it was like for less than two seconds, it's like, is that really a takedown? You know? Yeah, it's tough because of the the way they talk about scoring fights of like, oh, this guy's scoring points by doing this, right? It's like you're not sitting there like writing down like, oh, he gets a point for a takedown, <laughs> he gets a point for a punch. It's like that's not the way that you should be judging the fight. Um, it's effectiveness. And if say say Kelvin has a bunch of those like takedowns where it's like he gets Cannoneer on his butt and then Cannoneer gets right back up and they just keep kind of going through those same motions. And the striking isn't, there's no disparity in the striking. I would say Kelvin's probably winning then because he's forcing Cannoneer to have to be on defense all the time. So it's like, even though he's not winning by a wide margin, the fact that Cannoneer is not able to play offense because Kelvin is just taking him down over and over again, like that counts for something. But at the end of the day, it's not the most impactful thing. Yeah. So there are some fights tonight. Are you going to watch those? Um, I did look at what that card is and I am interested because, uh, that main event, Barboza and, uh, I don't know how to say his name correctly, but, uh, I think Giga it's Chikadze. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, I was going to say like Gaga or Gigi. Uh, but yeah, Chikadze. I think that's, I think they're gonna, you know, they both like the bang, I feel like. So I think it should be interesting. Yeah. Giga seems like a more surgical striker where barbosa i mean barbosa is like swinging his hardest basically <laughs> every single time he throws anything and it has served him well when he fights guys that are a little bit below his level but it's a lot of energy expenditure when he's fought at the very top of the food chain and if he can't hurt giga and he's throwing that hard giga is just going to take his time and at 145 pounds Shikaze's like six one, so he's really big for that wow one. And Edson's 5'11", so it's like not even like he's small for that weight class, but how often is he going to run into a guy that's bigger than him at 145 pounds? And this is just one of those scenarios. I'm not saying that Giga easily beats him or anything, but uh, it's going to be an interesting fight because Chikadze is a well-renowned kickboxer outside of the UFC, mm -hmm. and he's carried that over pretty well. Uh, his best win, I mean, he like melted Cub Swanson with a body shot. Pretty, yeah, early, say, or, pretty early in their fight, and Cub is no joke. Yeah, I know. I was gonna say, I know I saw. I don't know if I watched that fight or if I just saw a replay of that fight, but I know I saw that, and I was like, yeah, this guy, this guy is dangerous. Yeah. Um, 
I got into a a group chat on Twitter where we started. They, I got invited to like gamble on the fights. So it's like we don't really gamble, but it's uh, it's more like football pick them. You know, you put in some money and you pick the winners, and then the person with the most winners at the end gets the payout. So that's been pretty fun, even though I really don't know the majority of these guys fighting. But let's take a look at the first fight on the car on the prelims, and that's Mana Martinez and Guido Canetti. Don't know either of these guys. Me neither. Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. looking. <laughs> I'm checking it out at the same time as you. And that's how it is. The roster is so huge nowadays that there's so many guys that I don't know yet. But I think uh, that also makes it kind of interesting when you're watching some of these uh, smaller cards. Sometimes you see something really awesome that you might not have ever seen before. So. Yeah, and I've had to kind of like, you know, rededicate myself to coming and watching the prelims, making sure that I get there in time to actually see them. Uh, I guess, let me see. Dustin Jacoby and Darren Stewart, I think. No, that's the main event of the prelims. No, it's not. Second main event of the prelims? No. It's oh, on no, the it's on the prelims. So <laughs> yeah. It's going to be a good fight. Uh, it looks like the main event of the prelim is Alessio De Chirico, which I, I'm pretty sure I've seen that guy fight before against uh, Abdul Razak Alassan, if I'm saying mm-hmm. those names correctly. It looks like, at least from what my phone's showing me, I think that's the... Yeah, it's interesting that this is the prelim main event when both guys have lost three out of their last five. Yikes. Actually, three out of their last four. So they're both one and three in their last four. Um, And yet that is the fight that made it to the prelim main event. And then kicking off the main card is Gerald Mearshart and Mahmoud Muradov. And I know know Mearshart, but he got got knocked out by... uh, who is it? Kamzat Shemaev. Oh, okay. That was gonna say, that's why I know that guy. That makes sense. Which I, I just found out he's fighting not on the next UFC pay-per-view, but the one after that, I think, in October. Uh, yeah, he finally recovered from COVID, and they uh, they signed him, or they signed his next fight. He was about to retire because, you know, stuff they were saying, he was uh, coughing up blood and stuff, so... Yeah, I, was, I mean, I was worried because I've enjoyed his career of what I know of it so far. So I was like, oh, no, I, I hope he doesn't end up retiring. I want I want to see what else this guy can do. Yeah, he fought uh, three times in the basically in the bubble, twice in Abu Dhabi. And then, yeah, he knocked out uh, Mirshart in the first round, like 17 seconds in. Yeah, but was... other, other than that, like, you know, Gerald's fought like 40 fights, but... You know, Mahmoud is 25 and 6. He's won his last five in a row. So I can see why he's favored in that fight. Yeah, it makes sense. And then I don't know if you watched uh, the Ultimate Fighter this season, but that's this event is they're crowning the champions from the show. Oh, okay, cool. So the guy um, who was supposed to fight in the finals got hurt and pulled out. So uh, his replacement is getting the shot and that's Gilbert Urbina and both of his brothers have been MMA fighters. Um, so I think he's the youngest of the three and he's going up against Brian battle, who I think was the last pick for Volkanovsky's team. Oh, wow. Or, yeah, he was a late pick, but he's just like a big and versatile and tough to deal with kind of all over. He's not really all that polished yet, but he's, I think he's going to be pretty solid once he starts like being able to, 
train full time with some, you know, good guys around him. That makes sense. It, it's amazing that that show's still still around and doing so well. I feel like they they actually do find a lot of good talent that way. That you know eventually does do really well within the uh, within their system. Yeah, it was it was off the air for a while, and they brought it back. Um, I don't know why it went went away, unless the ratings were poor or something, or they just needed a new home for it. But uh, yeah, they brought it back and put it on ESPN, and I watched the whole season, and like it wasn't, you know what they did? They took all the booze out of the house. <laughs> so well, that's, there's no fun. Just kidding. There's yeah, there's none of that like crazy drama that we used to see. These guys are like, you know, bare knuckle fighting each other on concrete, getting drunk like, and punching out doors. Exactly. No more of that. So it was very, very controlled in comparison. And uh, the two guys that are fighting at 135 pounds for the tournament championship is uh, Ricky Turkios and Brady Highstand. And Ricky was another one of these guys where he's just like, kind of weird and he's got his own fighting style and i think he edged out like his first win but then he got better as the show went on and brady is kind of like a grappling first young kid who's just very good in his avenue right um like he, he there was a fight he was losing on the show and he was just able to grind it out like in the third round. I don't know if it was an overtime round or if it was one of the fights that was actually three rounds, but it was basically one round apiece. He's exhausted by the time the third round starts. And then he's just able to like grind it out in the grappling and stay on the guy's back and just, you know, be tenacious enough about it where he was able to walk away with the, the W. So he's got a lot of heart. Keeps on going. Keeps on. He does. Yeah. So I think he, he too will probably be pretty good. I like Ricky better, but I would have to probably favor Brady in this fight. Just I think it's a bad style matchup for Ricky. Um, but then the fight that I probably want to see the most is Kevin Lee against Daniel Rodriguez. I was gonna say I, I know Kevin Lee's name. I I know I've seen him fight before. I can't remember when exactly, but I I do remember. I feel like seeing him do some bad stuff to somebody at some point. Yeah, Kevin Lee's been pretty good. I mean, he lost to Al Iaquinta, I believe, and he was doing pretty well against Tony Ferguson in their fight in the first round, and then Tony like cut him from the bottom with an elbow or something, and he started bleeding all over the place going into the second round, and then Tony just found his gas tank, and I think he finished him in the second round. Uh, I could be wrong, but I don't feel like looking all that up right now. Exactly. Uh, so <laughs> Kevin fair. Lee is slightly favored because I, Rodriguez had to step in for Lee's opponent. I don't remember exactly who it was that dropped out, but it's going to be a good fight because Kevin Lee's up at 170 pounds. So it's like, he's not really cutting any weight, but he's a little bit small at welterweight right now. Like he's five, nine and Rodriguez is six, one. Wow. So yeah, I mean, Lee actually has the reach advantage in the fight. That's surprisingly. Yeah. But at the same time, it's just like, he just seems like he's better built to cut a little bit and go to 155. He just seemed like he was more in line with other guys that are at that weight class. Yeah. Size, size wise. It's crazy. I'm looking at his reach right now. It's like his reach is insane. Six, six foot five, I think. Yeah, 77. So, 
usually they say your your wingspan is how is roughly how tall you are. Mm-hmm. And in this case, he's just got ginormous arms. <laughs> yeah, I'm. But I mean, that's awesome. Is, Rodriguez is no joke. He's fifteen and two. He's won four out of his last five. He looked really good in his last outing. Um, this is probably his. Well, no, it's probably definitely his the his toughest opponent because taking a win over like Mike Perry is a good win, but like, you know, he's not fighting the top of the food chain. And you look at Kevin Lee, like he's fought really good guys at 155. Like he, uh, it'll be a good test to see if you can move on to that next echelon of fighters, basically. Yeah. Just cause like Kevin Lee has fought guys like very high up the skill food chain. Like he lost to current champion, Charles Oliveira he uh knocked out or did yeah he looks like he knocked out gregor gillespie uh who you know was a beast at the time and is still really just an excellent wrestler like in his last fight he was losing and just like found a way to break his opponent just like with willpower uh he lost to rda so no shame in that i mean the ally akinsa fight probably a fight that he wants back and that he might even win if they fought again but like, hey, Ayakinza did fight for the title against Khabib. Like, he probably shouldn't have been in that fight, but he was in there. So he's got the title contention, you know, sticker on his name. And then his last uh, win out of those five was Edson Barbosa. So, like, all those guys are way higher up the, the food chain skill-wise than the guys Rodriguez has been fighting. Totally. So I think, yeah, Kevin Lee's going to have a chance in this fight, but I don't know that he wins outright. And it looks like most people are split on it. It looks like at least where I'm looking, 52% of the votes have Lee winning with most of that going to decision, but 48% have Rodriguez winning and more than half of the people that voted on Rodriguez winning have it, have him winning by stoppage. So, wow. So that's that's interesting to look at. And then there's a couple of other fights on there that are mostly, you know, fights that I'll watch for fun. And since I'm going to throw down a little money on it with the guys, uh, we'll, see. we'll see. I'll watch the whole prelims and we'll see what happens. But I have like an hour and 20 minutes to get all those picks in. Nice. I mean, that's I think it makes it more fun to watch the fights, too, if you have a little little money on the line. It definitely does. I mean, it's just like fantasy football where... You know, it's going to be way more entertaining. I'll I'll be cheering for some random thing to happen in a in a blowout game. Yeah, I I don't have a Twitter, but if I did, I would I would join this league. Yeah, it's a it's a interesting group chat. That's cool. Oh, this show is brought to you unofficially by Diet Coke. Oh boy, Diet Coke! I love Diet Coke so much. I'll do commercials for Diet Coke for free. But Diet if Coke, want, if, if they want to sponsor this show. Listen, you know. this man, exactly. This man needs to sponsor Diet Coke. Diet Coke would be a great sponsor. You don't see, you know, you see Coca-Cola products sponsored all over things all the time. You know, you go to basketball games, football games, NASCAR, all that stuff. Their Coke branding is everywhere, but you don't see Diet Coke labels on things very often. So I'll be the brand ambassador for Diet Coke. <laughs> like you're like, let me, please let me be the one. I will be the yeah. one. Yeah. Uh... Yeah, yeah I don't Diet, know. Diet Coke has become your glory drink for sure. Yeah, I don't drink as much as I used to, but it's still delicious. Diet Coke and sunflower seeds. 
Yeah, I'm still on those sunflower seeds. <laughs> I found a new brand I like. So especially when I'm working, it's like rather than constantly like having to have like some snack food around me, like seeds are just more convenient. Yeah, I've been getting these de-shelled pistachios from Costco. And uh, I love it because I can just eat handfuls of pistachios really easily. I know. I need the shells on them so I don't eat like a thousand pistachios at once. Uh, yeah, it becomes a problem sometimes. Yeah, they're super dense in calories. So like just like with any nuts, like I, I try not to keep mixed nuts around the house either because it's like, you know, oh, I had a handful. Like, yeah, that's 5,000 calories. Yeah, it's like that's not already more that than many, you but have. But yeah, like uh, Lindsay just went to a nutritionist and uh, she asked, you know, she just asked him like, oh, how, you know, my husband eats a lot of those. How, how much did he have a day? And she's like, like at the most, like 20 at the very most, ideally more like 12 at 12 or something like that. So like a very small handful. 10 <laughs> 12 to 12 total pistachios. Yeah, 12 pistachios. Like that's it. That's all I can have. 12 pistachios. Yeah, that's probably not great. It's like I've been eating like two or three handfuls every time I dig in there. Yeah, you're eating like 40 at a time. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I, I've been on the ancestral diet mostly for the last like couple of months. But Kristen's been sick lately. So we've kind of been like having some cheat meals in here a little more often. Um, it's not that bad, though. Like, it seems like it's bad when you're looking on the outside of, like, all the things you can't eat. But once you're in the middle of it, it's like, oh, like, I like fruit, you know? So it's like I get to have some squash, some protein. Like, avocados are a big part of it. Uh, nice. You know, kind of bend the rules a little bit with cheese and stuff like that. But you got to bend the rules a little bit. Yeah, as long as I can tolerate dairy, okay, it's not a problem. And I tried to, like, fold mushrooms in there as like a supplemental flavor booster, but it doesn't mix well with a lot of other things sometimes. So it's like, Oh, these mushrooms are delicious. And then my stomach's upset. So that's a bummer. I, uh, but yeah, we're, we're working on a lifestyle change basically when it comes to our diet. Um, you know, just less processed foods overall, trying to eat yeah. more vegetables, similar kind of thing, less red meat, Ugh, less bacon. No, I'm eating more red meat, more animal <laughs> fat, more all that. Yeah, well, we're doing some less of I mean, we're going to be having fish tonight for dinner. We're going to have yeah, some I mean, halibut. Yeah, so, so wild fish is good for my diet. So yeah. I typically stock up on like uh, wild salmon or rockfish is pretty good because it's, I would say it's similar to like snapper in texture. Okay, that's thought about getting that day i saw that there and i was like i don't know if i've had that one before but we, i went with the hell of it yeah it's not overly fishy like some white fish like i got some cod and like the house smelled for like three days after that <laughs> and i'm just like yeah i don't want that to happen again so it's like i don't like wasting food i don't necessarily want to throw the rest of it out but you know you got to pick your battles and so it's like I stick with like Chilean sea bass is expensive, but it's good um, as far as like whitefish goes. Like halibut's another good one. Yeah. And then just try to stick with like as much like grass fed and pasture raised uh, protein I mean, sources as I can. Yeah. If we are going to, exactly, if we are getting red meats now and stuff like that, ideally try to get, you know, grass fed stuff and 
you know, so it's healthier. And it, honestly, I think it tastes better too. It's like, it does. The fat, it tastes better. So, yeah. But yeah, I think, I mean, since, I mean, on this diet, I probably lost like 16 pounds. And then it's probably like 25 overall since like making some moderate changes. So, nice. yeah, it just, I mean, it gets a little redundant. But I mean, I like avocado and I like bacon and I love avocado. So I, lo- I love me some red meat, too. So I just try not to eat the same thing every day. So it's like try and cycle through it and be like, all right, we'll do chicken one night. We'll do fish another night, do red meat another night. And yeah, just try to try to keep it a little bit different every day. But it's like summer season is over. So uh, there's not as much like squash available. So I'm like, what the hell am I going to replace squash with? I need another fruit option that's masquerading as a vegetable (laughs) cucumber i guess i mean yeah i can eat cucumber but i can't really like cook cucumber so i'll make like i'll make a salad that has no greens in it it's just like peppers uh cucumber tomatoes finally harvested some tomatoes from the garden so awesome but still i have like 40 feet of tomato plant and it yielded me like 25 tomatoes maybe so (laughs) it's just like it's growing out of control but it's not really producing a ton of tomatoes to eat but we did have some in our salad and i was like these are pretty good they're just like naturally salty and delicious so hopefully i can get more out of it but if it's only gonna fruit once a year then i got a long ways to go to wait for the next batch of tomatoes yeah i I think they're just once a year i don't know if they're a a biannual um harvesting Speaking of, speaking of harvesting, how's your little grow operation going? Um, so far, so good. Just, you know, there's occasionally some bugs you got to deal with and stuff, but no large infestations or anything like that. So I'm, everything's good. Everything's growing. Um, mostly healthy. Yeah, I had some spider mites that ravaged my uh, like jalapeno and pepper plants. Those are the worst. Little fuckers, like... If you get I, those, you're kind of screwed, I feel like. It's like, you're just screwed. Yeah, because I had this one plant that hadn't flowered like the year before because it got killed by spider mites. So it came back in year two, and it was like, okay, it flowered, and it's like, it's look, I can see the little heads of the peppers, and it's all going to grow. And I just couldn't keep these goddamn spider mites off of them. And I had used like a diatomaceous earth uh, pesticide that didn't work. And I had used like a a rubbing alcohol blend that didn't work. And I eventually switched over to, I think it's like Murphy's peppermint oil soap or something like that. And that seems to have worked pretty well, but the plant was already like dead at that point. (laughs) I think I harvested two total jalapenos off of the one plant, maybe three. And then the other plant just like shriveled and died because it was getting eaten alive. So I was like trying to like stop it from moving over to the tomato plant, but they didn't seem interested in the tomatoes. They just wanted to eat the pepper plant. So interesting. Like that's interesting to me too, that they didn't, you know, we're like, we're just going to focus on this one plant. We don't care about this other stuff. Yeah. It was bizarre, I mean, fortunately, but... I mean, fortunately it didn't spread. But, yeah. uh, I remember the one time I had spider mites years ago and it was just like everything I tried to get rid of them was not working. I remember, like you mentioned, some of those things. I remember trying like a peppermint soap type thing. I remember trying a little rubbing alcohol, all these different things. And it's just like, they're still here. They, I'm like rubbing on them and I'm watching them walk over it and stuff. <laughs> How is this not working? And this is supposed to kill them. And they were like, 
mutated or something. I don't know. Yeah, I would come out there, spray it down, like wipe the plants off with like tissue, like to see like all the bug carcasses. And I come back the next day and like they're all there again. I'm just like, my God. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I should say it did kill a few, but some were just like super resilient. And I was like, how is this possible? So I don't know where they came from, but I guess I'll just have to wait and see if the plants decide to revive themselves next year. Yeah, I want to plant a rosemary bush because I like I think it'd be nice to have some fresh rosemary for dishes and things like that and just go out and cut a couple sprigs and things like that. Yeah, if you have a like a place where you can put a planter box that gets good sunlight, then, you know, it'll it'll grow well. But in my particular area is not doesn't get a ton of sunlight because there's a tree and like an apartment building that kind of block a lot of that out. So until it gets to be summer where the sun is like very uh, upright in the sky, when it's at that angle, it just blocks all the sunlight out. So maybe that's why a lot of stuff died. But I had a like lavender bush out there that freaking died instantly. Just became like a a tumbleweed. (laughs) Yeah, I do want to start growing more fruits, you know, my own fruits and vegetables sometimes or spice, you know, spices and things like that. Yeah, start small. And they have like a countertop ones too where it has like a uv light and it just grows like small amounts of herbs and stuff like that which i i thought about bringing that into the kitchen but it's like i already always get these damn little like fruit flies chasing my bananas and stuff so i'm like (laughs) do i need to bring more plants in here like it's gonna be you know bug central in the kitchen that's not really where i want that to happen i have thought about getting those you know, pod things as well, because I was like, that seems like just a great idea. You can just grow it right on, you know, on your table, in your kitchen. Easy. Um, have not ever gotten one, but my, uh, my sisters just got one a few months ago and they, they love it, you know? So I guess it just depends, but I, I agree with you. It's like, like you said, if, if I have bananas or something, all the fruit flies come around, I feel like it probably would attract more bugs and I want less bugs in my house, not more bugs in my house. Agreed. Um, They have these kind of like vertical outdoor cylinders where it's just like an upright base where you kind of like fill the little pockets with dirt or potting soil or whatever. And you put in whatever you want. It grows like lettuce and whatever other things you can get to grow out of it. But uh, that looked pretty cool. And I was like, yeah, if you're pressed for space, too, and you don't have like room to build a planter box, that could be something that, you know, works well for your setup. Uh, Yeah, I, I I think I've seen that advertised before as well, somewhere or something like that. But yeah, it seemed like a cool idea for growing, like you said, lettuces and things like that. Those kind of things for sure. Yeah. Well, what you got going on the rest of the day? Um, you know what? I think I'm definitely going to check out those fights. Um, cause I don't have much going on today, to be honest. Yeah. I have to prep for this job a little bit more, just going through my garage and grabbing equipment and stuff like that that i didn't get yet for friday or on friday yesterday yeah i'm gonna have to keep an eye out for uh back for blood too when it comes out i saw that i could pre-download it right now but i was like do i need to buy a new headset like my headset's supposed to work with the stereo jack on the the controller but it didn't clearly all i could (laughs) all i could do was hit the volume button on the controller and have it send Morse code to you guys. Uh, yeah, that was, 
that was weird. I don't know why it wasn't working. Hopefully, I don't know if that's maybe because of the beta, if it was just like, oh, because of crossplay, screw you, it's not working. I don't know, I don't but know. I am excited for us to play that game. I will say that. Yeah, like, I don't know that I'm going to ever be able to, like, carve out as much time as I would, that like I used to, but... Most of the time, my video game is either going to be like, I'm going to take a lunch break in the middle of the day and I'll play for like an hour or it'll be like right before I go to sleep. And like, instead of reading, I'll do that for like an hour or so. Yeah, I need to do less video gaming and more reading, to be honest. Um, yeah, I know my comic collection has just gotten out of control because every week it's like, no matter how many books I read, there's always more new ones coming out the following week. Well, yeah, you're following quite a few different series now, I think, too. So, way too many. <laughs> so it's like, way, uh, well, I need to get many. the next one. I, I need it. I need the next one, and then I get it. So the problem is, like, I buy a lot of books from indie publishers, where if I don't ask the store to carry it beforehand, they're not going to have it. So I have to place the order like several months in advance, not knowing whether or not I'm even going to like the series. Because it's like That's pretty crazy. So it's like, say I ordered like the first book in the series, but it hasn't even released yet. But then the the deadline comes for me to order it, and it's like, well, do I want book three in this series? Like, I don't know. <laughs> I haven't even I haven't even gotten number one yet. But I'm still waiting on my number one, huh? Exactly. So so that happens a lot. And then it's like, oh, do I take a chance on this new number one that might be interesting, or you know, just let it go. And if it's popular, maybe I'll come back to it at another time. I'll hear about it after the fact and I can start collecting it like after the run is over, which is harder to do these days because they're just not as big a print runs. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, so much of things are just digital nowadays. Also, it's just hard to even get printed things, I feel like sometimes. Yeah. I mean, if I really wanted to just like read the stories, I guess I could always sign up for like Comixology and just it's a subscription service and I just read it all on my computer or laptop or whatever. And then I get the stories, but I don't have any like physical copy of it. But a good example of this one series, it's called something is killing the children. I have one through four and six through 19 <laughs> and book five. I never saw it go to like second or third printing. So the, the first print, issue of that book is like $600. Oh, no. And it's only from maybe last year, early last year. But like the I found like one through four, like second and like third printings. So I'm like, that's fine. I just want to read the story. I don't really care about having the $600 value book, right? Yeah, you're like, I just want I just want to complete my series. <laughs> yeah. So I signed up for like a mailing list that lets me know when the book comes back in stock with this one particular company. So I got an email like, Oh, this book you're looking for is back in stock. So I opened the email and it's like 500 bucks. And I'm just like, no, I was like, I just want to read it so that like I could complete the story that I'm reading. I don't need a $600 version of this book. And I reached out to the publisher and I'm like, what happened? Like, did you guys never go to like second and third printing with this book? And they never responded to me. So I just got to like maybe bother <laughs> them on Twitter every single day until I finally get an answer. But come on, just give me another printing, please. Yeah, just just run it. You know, the series is popular. Like, or maybe that's the like their stick for this one. It's like, no, we're making the number five elite. You, you know, if you want it, you got to pay. Yeah, because like a first printing of number one is probably in the same category as that. And 
my my comic dealer is like oh i have it somewhere like i'll look for it but he's so busy with other stuff like i'm just behind probably by like 30 issues right now of different series where it's like what happened to this like this you know this was several months ago like there's a lot of distribution issues where things just didn't show up he was shorted there was damages like all kinds of different issues and then meanwhile it's like okay well i'm reading this series what happened to book number three it's just you don't have it it's not coming I don't know what to do, but then like book four and book five and, you know, all the way through book 19, what is going on? So yeah, it's a headache and it's just taking up a ton of space right now. And a friend of, uh, Kristen's, he is getting rid of like his dad's comic collection. It's like 3000 books. And I was like, well, I kind of want them, but I also don't have anywhere to put 3000 <laughs> comics right now. So that's a lot of comics to go through. Yeah, it is. And most of them are not valuable, but it's a lot of stuff from like the late 80s and early 90s where some Kinda of these cool, properties were doing interesting things like Predator versus Alien, stuff like that. I mean, that's, you know, that's when we were little kids and stuff like that, too. So it's probably all it could be some nostalgic stuff in there for sure. Yeah, there's probably some valuable stuff in there, but having to go through it like piece by piece. And like, I don't know if I got to plug it into like eBay one at a time and be like, hmm, what's the value on like a first print of this book? Like, I don't have enough time to do all that stuff. Yeah, and I could outsource 3, that. Books, to, yeah. I, I could basically get my comic guy to like go through it and sell it. And then like he takes a percentage. But, you know, that's still a lot of work. So totally. Oh, well. Yeah. I don't know. Is there anything else you want to get into while I have you? Got about an hour to get these picks in and then the fight start and go back to doing some job search stuff. Nice, nice. Yeah. Um, I don't know. You know don't want to talk about everything because we've got to have more episodes. So We'll have more. <laughs> we'll do some on some, maybe some like bigger fight cards, maybe before the fights actually happen. Oh, sure. I'm I'm always down for that. Yeah, because I was doing that other MMA podcast, but that's just kind of like fallen off the rails in the last month. It was kind of like what happened with Connor and then kind of the way that a lot of the fans started behaving, I guess, made the host of the show feel like he doesn't want to participate anymore. I'm like, well, you don't have to talk about him. So I don't know. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm super amped for UFC 266 when that happens. So is that the Nick Diaz return? Yep, and it's it's a good card. You know, it's Volk yeah. versus Ortega. We got Shevchenko on there. Valentina and Lauren Murphy. Yeah, yeah. So it's 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 a fun card. Curtis Blades versus Rosenstruck. Oh, that's gonna be a good one because right? Blades got to make sure he doesn't get hit like he did against Derek Lewis, and he can maybe win that fight. Yeah, it's like there's there's some interesting fights on that card. So when is that one? September twenty. Yeah, September twenty fifth. So. I guess uh, about, about a month away. Yeah, it's a day before my sister's birthday, so hopefully she's not planning her birthday party on that evening, which she very well may be. And I'll be like, yeah, hold on. I'm going to just sit <laughs> down here and watch the fights on my phone. I'm here, but I need to watch something. Nah, I, I would just come back and watch it and somehow try to avoid all the spoilers. But even like the thumbnail they use on ESPN after like the fight is over based on the thumbnail they choose i'm like i know who won this fight 
like you chose a picture of Edson Barbosa kicking this guy in the head. Like, yeah, it's like, I, I know what happened to him. <laughs> yeah, so it's tough. Um, and staying off social media and like getting unplugged from other people that I follow that are MMA. I know. I, I, well. I usually text you as I'm watching them. So, but I always try to check with you. Like, are you watching yeah. live? Like, cause I, I don't want to mess anything up if you're not. Yeah. Have you watched any of the, like the PFL or Bellator stuff that's been on on Thursday and Friday? I haven't. I, what, I don't even know what channel that's on. Well, interestingly uh. enough, PFL is also an ESPN product. So, Oh, interesting. They don't operate on Saturdays, obviously, because that's not good for ESPN's business, but they mm-hmm. do like Thursday and Friday shows. Um, and they just, it's, you know, they don't have the greatest fighters in the world, but they've got some good ones and some UFC vets on there. And their structure is like they have a regular season where there's maybe eight to 10 fighters, everybody has two fights, and then your performance is scored on like a point system where if you get a first round finish, it's six points, second round finish five, third round finish four. If you get the win, it's three points. And I've seen some guys get negative points, but I don't know exactly uh, how you get negative points. (laughs) You got knocked out too many times, bro. Right. You got embarrassed too badly or you cheated or something like that. But based on those points, it gives you like a standings and then the points leaders go to the playoffs and it's a playoff tournament. And then the winner of the tournament gets a million dollars. That's pretty freaking cool. Yeah, so their system that they have in place for like how they want the sport to operate, or at least like this version of the that sport is to cool, operate, actually. it's cool. And they have this thing called the smart cage, which uh, like tracks striking speed throughout the fight and constantly compiles like the total striking numbers that are on screen for you to see. So some of the presentation elements are cool. Like they instituted the referee cam that Pride used to have, so you can always like have accountability for what the ref is seeing in the I cage. Pride. I, I love their form, you know, the 10 minute first round. I, I love the way they did that. Scoring um, the fight I, as a whole 10 minute first round. Those are good things. Yes, exactly. And it should be scoring the fight as a whole anyways. But uh, I'm very curious about this pro fight league now because I had heard about it, but I was like, I, you know, I don't know, is there, is there multiple weight classes? Yeah, um, I mean, Roy McDonald is fighting there, but he lost in the playoffs. Um, they shoe face Antonio Carlos Jr., uh, Chris Camosi, like guys that are definitely like familiar UFC names um, that just kind of like had their run and then didn't end up in Bellator. And Kayla Harrison is the 155 pound women's champ, and they only have one women's weight class so far, as far okay. as I know. And she's like the two, three time defending tournament champion. And she's just running through these other women that are not on her level. And she's uh, Olympic gold medal judoka. Oh, wow. So she's like a scarier version of what Rhonda was. But she's also at 155 pounds. So it's hard for her to get a fight because really like, you know, there's not a ton of depth at that weight class. So everybody wants to see her fight Amanda, but like her and Amanda are teammates. Amanda's realistically a 135er. Like when she fights at 145, she's a little soft. Just like you can see in her body, like she's carrying a little more fat than usual because she knows she's so good, she can. But like Kayla at 155 pounds is in like tremendous shape and very muscled. Wow. Well, I think realistically the difference in their size is way too drastic for them to, to actually fight. Because Kayla's probably got like 
20 pounds on her if they're both in like their leanest condition. So it's is and their teammates. So it's like, I don't think it's a fight that we're ever going to see. But Cyborg could fight at 155 pounds and not be carrying a ton of extra body fat on her. And, you know, I think that's the fight that they really need to chase down and try to make happen. That'd be because, interesting for sure. Yeah, because you're never going to see a cross promotional thing between PFL and the UFC. But you might be seeing it uh, in Bellator. So it's possible. Yeah, that's interesting. I I do want to follow Bellator more as well, just because there is, I mean, they have a decent roster as well. And I, they also just pay their fighters better than the UFC, to be honest. So part of me is I, just like, you know, I don't know. I the don't know that they big. Do you ever see the numbers of the Bellator contracts being disclosed? Well, I guess, I guess I shouldn't say that they're getting paid more because maybe it's more so they're just getting paid a better percentage. If that makes sense. Well, well yeah, Bellator because just Bellator has less revenue. Money. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> you know. So, because I think actually maybe that, that's what I've been seeing is more so it's percentage. But, but so it's like, well, UFC makes millions, billions of dollars comparatively. Yeah. Uh, so I guess in that way, I don't know. You're right. I, it, once you're at that upper level, for sure, in the UFC, you're making more more money. I think at yeah. the highest level. But I think at the lower level, you might be getting paid more money as a Bellator fighter. I'm not sure on that, but. Well, yeah, because if you're a guy that's going to fight on like the undercard of a UFC event when there's nobody in the building, you're not really making, you, you know, you're not a guy that makes pay-per-view points and you're getting maybe like 10,000 to show, 10,000 to win. You know, that's not great for someone who's low on the totem pole, especially when like your sponsorship money uh, is kind of like blocked from you. So, I mean, yeah, that's great. If, if that guy up. fights in Bellator you can at least get your sponsorships and make your money that way. So I guess there's also that aspect of it too. It's, it's like the UFC has it, you know, their own branding basically. And you aren't allowed to promote other people's things like you used to be able to. I know we got to go back to the days of, you know, condom depot. And I mean, I love, you'd always see people's different shorts with all these different logos on them. And, you know, it was fun. I felt like it gave the fighters more personality and I don't think it's any surprise that we've seen as that's declined, there's less star making ability with the UFC. It's like they find the people that they want to make stars like a Sean O'Malley, Conor McGregor. Um, I mean, not even necessarily Kevin Holland, although like he fights a lot and he gets pushed a lot because he's entertaining, but a guy like Clay Guida is basically like grandfathered in because we <laughs> yeah. all know him from, you know, 10 years ago. But yeah. like if, Clay, if Clay Guida was starting in the UFC right now, like, and being like a 500 kind of fighter, I don't know that he would be able to generate the kind of fan base that he was able to generate 10 years ago. That makes a lot of sense. It's possible, but, you know, it's just, it seems like the UFC is interested in only marketing like the kind of people that they want. Like they tried to push Paige Van Zant for so long and it's like, she's a mediocre fighter and we've seen it. And she's gone to, I think it's bare knuckle FC and she's lost both of her fights there. So it's like, you know, and now I don't know if you know, but only fans has uh, tried to legitimize themselves by, taking on some new ad revenue and removing, uh, I guess, like naked nudity, right? Nudity, nudity, yeah. Like that, right? Yeah. So all these fighters who had found that this was an option for them, like 
think about like Jessica. Yeah, let's say she had an OnlyFans, right? Or did, did she, she for not? sure did. Um, yeah. But think about a fighter like Jessica Andrade, who fought for the title, was the champion at one point, was always in the top two or three in multiple weight classes. Like she started an OnlyFans page, and it's like, you know, you went from fighting for the title to having to like sell nude photos. Within guess, a year, like I guess you gotta make. Bad. I told you, UFC doesn't pay enough. <laughs> <It's kidding. laughs> uh, but I mean, it is kind of crazy. Like, I mean, if that's how you want to make money, then I'm, I'm not knocking it. You know, like make money however you want to make money. Um, but it is interesting. I, I never went to OnlyFans. I guess maybe I should have checked it out before it got legitimate. But uh, <laughs> never checked it out. So I, I don't know. Can't can't judge it. Can't really knock it because i'm down for people to do whatever they want to do as long as it's not hurting somebody else yeah i don't know i just feel like trying to stifle your fighters creativity to force them into a brand defeats the purpose of like what people enjoy about fighting like that there's so many different types of personalities and backstories and a guy that we liked a lot in you know, Demetrius Johnson, like the UFC, I don't know if that they couldn't sell him, but they refused to try to sell a guy who is just like, a, you know, guy who likes to play Xbox and I love that guy. A, yeah, a family I... man. And, you know, Demetrius is one of the best fighters of all time. His story about how he was in the middle of like his Twitch stream in Vegas before he went out and fought Henry Cejudo the first time and then goes and beats him in the first round and then comes back and hops on his stream. <laughs> like that's a crazy story. Like he wasn't even focused on the title fight and went out there and smashed a guy who was a gold medalist and who's gone on to become like one of the best fighters in the sport, although he retired. Like those are the kind of stories that I think would do wonders for a guy like Demetrius, but we don't hear about that until like, way down the line and then they end up trading him for ben Askren, who you know gets obliterated and washed out in three fights yeah it's pretty crazy i, I thought that was i mean don't get me wrong i was excited to see what ben, ben Askren can do yeah, me too. in the ufc but it's like yeah dj was like how do you get rid of a guy like that i don't i don't understand that he was so dominant and they couldn't like lead a pay-per-view with him was the problem. It's like, Oh, he's only going to sell like maybe 250,000, 300,000 pay-per-view eyes. And it's like, well, yeah, cause you don't really invest in him as being one of your stars. It's like you sell John Jones and GSP and Anderson Silva and all these other guys as being like must watch TV. But with Demetrius, it's like, I just never felt that that push was there for him. Yeah. I, and I get that. I know we were, you know, diehard fans, but it's, I guess those, you're right. It wasn't, he wasn't making the same sale sales at all on those pay-per-view buys. And so sometimes it ended up being, you know, his title fight and another title fight on the card just to make up for it. Um, yeah, and I think we saw with uh, like a fighter like Amanda Nunes, who in her last time, her pay-per-view headlined a card, it only sold 86,000 pay-per-views. Didn't even break yeah. 100,000. Like that's ridiculous for the greatest female fighter Jeez. of all time. But yeah, that says that most people don't so want to. Yeah, most people don't believe that, you know, watching her fight is as must see TV as probably hardcore fans do. She doesn't yeah. have like that Ronda element, whatever that is. I suppose. Yeah, exactly. I don't know what and, and I don't know what that is sometimes. Like, what is it that like makes people be like, oh, yeah, I'm so drawn to, you know, Ronda, for example, like what really 
like set her apart from Amanda Nunes, even though Nunes is miles ahead of her skill wise. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't make sense to me how, you know, I guess it's like, I mean, it's a hype train thing too. Even with Connor right now, it's like, he's not the same fighter that he once was. Um, but people still jump on it. Like, no, he's the best. He's the best. And it's like, have you watched his fights? Like, I don't know. I'll say that I think he's the same fighter that he was, but everybody else has gotten better. There you go. It's like, yeah, he hasn't necessarily gotten worse, but people have made improvements to deal with somebody like him. Yeah. And I like in the fight where he broke his leg, like he came out and he was throwing a lot of good leg kicks, landing some early shots on Dustin. And then he threw a kick and Dustin switched with like a stance switch and came in and countered him with the left and then switched again on the very next sequence and hit him again. And he had Connor like backing up and ducking, like ducked him into an uppercut. And then Connor was the one who was covering up and immediately went to the clinch. So it's like, even in a fight where Connor was winning and doing what he wanted to do, like Dustin found the right counters in there and then forced Connor to cover up. And then, you know, it went to the guillotine and then everything else that happened after it. But like Dustin knew what to do in that situation where a lot of guys just like didn't. I mean, yeah, don't get me wrong. I'd be lying if I said I don't want to see him fight again because he I do. Is, exactly. He's very entertaining leading up to the fights and during the fights usually as well. So of course I want to see him continue to compete. Uh, but like you said, he, I think he needs to continue to elevate his game or he's not going to beat these guys anymore. Like he used to be able to. Yeah. Honestly, I think he needs to get out of Ireland. I know that he's like loyal to the soil and he wants to bring up Irish MMA and stick with Kavanaugh and all that, but he needs to be at a team where he's got better guys around him in training. I mean, that's just the truth. That makes sense. And you know, I, I love the, the way Aldo fought, what was it, a, three weeks ago or something like that? Yeah, against Munoz. Yeah, it's like, uh, I would love to see them fight again, even though they're like different weight classes now, but I would love to see them run it back at some point down the line, because I feel like Aldo's looks really, really good, but obviously he'd have to move up and kind of move down, I don't know. Yeah, they're 20 pounds apart right now, I just I don't see it happening. Yeah, I don't exactly, I don't think it'll ever happen again, uh, but... I would I would love to give Aldo the chance to to get his revenge. Yeah, but I think the fact that Connor's at 155 and Aldo is at 135 says a lot about the difference in size between them when they fought the first time at 145 pounds. You know that is a very good point. You know he was, he was a a big 145 versus a small 145 basically. Yeah, and Connor has fought comfortably at 170 pounds a couple times, where it's like he's not fighting the best guys at 170, but you know he's walking around at that weight comfortably and in fairly good shape or like can you imagine like aldo being at 170 pounds he'd be very small <laughs> that that is very true i mean uh it's like that the one time we met george st pierre and mike swick and george st pierre fights at 170 and mike swick fights at 185 but seeing them standing side by side i was like this gsp looks like he's you know way mus- more muscles Thick, you know, he was a, a little bit shorter, I think, but basically, it was like, how's this guy in the weight class below this guy? So I was like, there's no way. Yeah, Swick just was very thin, and you know, he, he didn't carry a ton of muscle on him. And GSP probably walked around at like 185, 190, because he said that even leading into the fight, like with Bisbing, he couldn't really get his weight higher than 
I think it was like the low 190s. Like he was having trouble, and that's what led to his uh, diverticulitis and his stomach infection and stuff. Trying to put on all that weight for the Bisping fight. Gotcha. So George was always like big, but it was like his back and shoulders. Like he was a wide fighter at 170 pounds, where you know a guy like Matt Hughes was like five seven, five eight, and was a very big and muscular 170 guy in the the championship era before GSP. Yeah. But even guys like Dan Hardy and John Fitch, like those guys were bigger than George, like taller guys, you know, just overall like bigger guys. Yeah. I I would love to see him compete again. I know he, he stays still in tremendous shape. Uh, he's in great shape right now. He could definitely fight if he wanted to. He's maybe yeah. in better shape than the last time when I saw him fight. Uh, and he's lean too. So I don't know if he's like, under 170 right now but he looks small comparatively to the last time we saw him inside the cage yeah um but yeah I'm, I'm excited for like i said that nick diaz and robbie Lawler fight even though it's the first time they fought was like 15 years ago or something like that right i've, uh, seen, I've seen a lot of those memes going around of like this is of course when they fought the first time and now this is <laughs> yeah 15 years later it shows like a teenager and then it shows like an old man or something like that yeah I, those have definitely been cracking me up i i am excited for all that stuff um i feel like we could talk fights for an endless amount of time you know just talking about ones we've been to and you know the different travels we've we've had through it all yeah, we'll um, save some of those stories maybe for a different show. Of course, of course. Because I got to yeah. hop on and get these picks in in the next 40 minutes. So I have to do a, at least a little bit of research so I don't get my ass kicked too bad. Um, it's been nice having you, man. Thanks for stopping by and doing the show. And we'll definitely get another one in. Oh, I'm so down, yeah. I'm always down to, to chat and have some fun talking about all kinds of different stuff. Thanks to everyone who took the time to listen to the episode. If you enjoyed it, please help me out by liking, subscribing, and sharing from wherever you get your podcasts. This show is an extension of thescheiss.com, where you can find movie reviews, recommendations, and more. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, you can contact me at nick at And until next time, be well, stay safe, and go Bills!